Yo, what is up? You have found We Like the Blazers. I am Brandon Goldner, live and direct, not from Oregon. And with me, also not from Oregon, ironically, is Ryan Whitledge. Ryan, what's up, man? Not much. I'm not going to lie. We're not doing video for this. I still danced, if that makes anybody <laughs> feel any better. It makes me feel better. It definitely makes me feel better um, because I did want to start with kind of a state of the world thing. And I know that, you know, this is a basketball podcast. And obviously, some things are just bigger than basketball uh, because today it was announced that the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, which means that a 5-4 decision means that there are a lot of people in the United States who starting immediately, starting now, don't have access to safe and legal two, abortions. Two states, two states, as soon as this decision came down, automatically enacted laws that were outlawing abortions. Yeah, yeah. And even and even outside the law part, you have states, uh, clinics in certain states who have said because of this ruling, they're, they're pausing any abortion services until they can figure out what they're legally allowed to do. There are some states like Alabama where it's not only immediately illegal, but if you're a provider providing access to abortion, they're threatening you with life in prison. It is really, honestly, Ryan, a, a pretty uh, um, dark uh, dystopian time right this moment. And I had a quick comment to it. Um, which was this. Uh, I find it very, I mean, frustrating is not even the right word. Um, Distressing isn't strong enough of a word that we have this group of unelected uh, religious clerics essentially issuing a fatwa that is taking away rights from people. It's wrong. It's not okay. um, And it's really distressing. And I just thought it was important, um, as did you, to kind of hit it right off the top. Uh, and And the last thing I'll say, and I wanted to give you some space too, of course, last thing I'll say, there are lots of places you can donate to ensure that women still have access to abortions. There are some companies and props to them that are allowing their workers to have funding to travel to states where they can get an abortion. The fact that we even have to say this out loud, honestly, is pretty insane. Hat tip bungee. Hat tip bungee. Yeah, yeah, and hat tip to the companies doing that. Uh, for example, our good friend Evan McCarthy at evanm.com. If you buy any of his prints this weekend, he'll be donating the entirety of the profit to uh, organizations that make sure that women have access to safe and legal abortions. So I, di- I did want to hit that off the top again. I know it's a basketball podcast, but it's too important not to touch on. Um, so yeah, Ryan, I know that you had some thoughts about this too. For me, and it- there are a couple important parts for me. For, for me, one of the things is that I don't want to delegitimize and absolutely shit on an entire third of a major branch of our government. Our government is comprised of the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. And a lot of Thought and effort and time is spent on electing people to the executive branch and to the legislative branch. And nobody necessarily, or a lot of people don't necessarily think about the trickle down effect that those two branches are responsible for staffing that judicial branch. These, these are things that are elected officials vote on, they nominate. You know, and we're in a point in our country where there are, you know, the the majority of one legislative branch has been appointed by a minority of the American population. Um, So for anybody who personally thinks that, like, unless it's a presidential election, it's not important. uh, The off year elections are 
electing the people that are voting on these nominations to the Supreme Court. So if you're affected by this and you're sitting out off your elections, quote unquote, this is a consequence and a way that you can have an immediate impact is by treating every election as an important election. Because yes, you know, the presidential election is is a big thing and a big deal, but it's not in the entirety of the country. You know, a lot of people are blaming Joe Biden for this decision. You know, they're blaming Democrats, but what can you do when you don't have a supermajority in a Senate that is run by a filibuster with a Democratic president whose hands are tied behind his back because for every agenda that he wants to put out there and promote gets shot down because Mitch McConnell, who has controlled basically the voting rules of the laws of our land for the last you know eight to 10 years, doesn't want to bring a motion or just invoke the filibuster. So every election is important. State county, you know, whatever. Every election is important. And we're now starting to see a little bit of this trickle-down effect of, of people dismissing the non-quote-unquote major elections. So get out there. It sounds asinine. Get out there. Vote. Do your part. You can't sit back on the sidelines every two years and complain that things aren't getting better because you made one vote every four years. Yeah, I that's think, my piece. I think it's a great piece. I think you are absolutely correct. Um, voting is important. I I can empathize with there are people who feel that their representatives don't represent them and they don't feel compelled to vote. I do understand that. Um, <clears throat> I think you're also 100 percent correct that it's it's extremely important. Uh, and we you know we are finding out every day all the different ways in which it's important. And today is one of those days. It's a really it's um. It's rough. So I, I appreciate and one. I got I got one last little piece, one last little anecdote on this. You know, yep. my 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 wife, she is a she's voted Republican for most of her life. But she has admitted as of the last couple of years that these are not the Republicans that she thought she was looking for to steal, a, you know, a, a Star Wars reference or whatever. But yeah, it's. And so she's getting turned over. But at the same point in time, it's, you know, if now she's a voter that's up for grabs and but she doesn't necessarily feel like Democrats can can do things. And it's, it's a weird spot that I also find myself at with my voting, because even though I have my Democratic values, I have my Democratic beliefs, I, I very much lean liberal. The Democrats are not doing themselves any favors. And in a lot of ways, I mean, you see that today, they're singing songs on the Capitol, they're singing God bless America. I mean, I thought we realized that that was a stupid thing to do. You can't sing your way out of a problem. You know, back when uh, the celebrities tried to sing, sing our way out of COVID with uh, putting a video up there of imagine, you know, you need, you, you need to organize, you need to reach out, you need to do the talk to the to the people and find out what the people want and and need and and not just have this theater of politics. And yeah, that's and I, all that politics on both sides has come down to today. It's all theater. 
for as much as Democrats, for as much as Democrats want to give that shit to to Republicans who post up on Fox News and do interviews with Tucker Carlson and all that stuff, the Democrats are just as much as fault for having a bad bad messaging platform that they can't get anybody to rally behind. Yeah, and I would I would also argue that what we see in American politics today. I, I, I'm not going to mince words. We see that Republic, the Republican Party, they're doing everything that they can. They're bending every rule. They're flexing every procedure, every button they can push to take away people's rights. And Democrats are not willing to do the same to protect those rights. That's what's happening. And in my view, you have, again, a Republican Party who has said, you know, we're okay taking away people's rights. We don't want to protect people from guns. Uh, That's where they are. That's fine. We should believe them when they say that. And to Democrats, what I say is you need to be doing more with your actions and not just your words to be protecting people. There are, there were, so I don't, I don't mean to devolve to a political discussion. I mostly agree with you. Real quick. I want to end with this. So one of the important things, I'll tie this back into my like local politics matters kind of stuff is, you know, you're seeing a lot of, you know, Republicans nowadays, they're mobilizing at, you know, a city level, a county level, a state level. You're, you're seeing, you know, election, election boards, uh, uh, county, you know, uh, election officials, uh, state AGs, the people that are actually in charge of a lot of things that help get elected officials in place. You're seeing them you know, being um, now taken over by a lot of, you know, for lack of a better term, crazy Republican officials who believe in a lot of QAnon BS, who still believe that the last election was completely stolen, all that stuff. You know, so for those that don't want to get involved in, you know, the small elections and the local elections who don't think those things matter, those things, you know, for as much as everyone likes to talk about trickle down economics, there's trickle up politics. So get in. And and by the way, the getting involved, it's not just a getting out there and, and, and voting. If if you have an idea, if you think that you can better society, get out there, put your name on a ballot, uh, right. get out there and, and, and just do do these things. Like, I'm not going to lie. I've put a serious amount of consideration into into upcoming election cycles like myself thrown on a ballot. Will I get canceled in a heartbeat? Probably. But I'm willing to do it because I have values and beliefs. <laughs> yeah, you know, I actually, it's, 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 it's I, for I view politics. It's a trickle up system, and the most change that you can see in your life, if you want to change your situation, if you want to change your community, it's gonna have to take place in your local politics. Joe Biden is not gonna fix Clark County, Washington. Joe Biden is not gonna fix. You know, uh, Multnomah County in Oregon, but your local elected officials will. Right. And like, I, I mean, first of all, you you should run. Um, and I do agree. People <laughs> listening, you, your friends, your family, we do need representatives who truly represent our views. And that's just not what we what we have now. Um, uh, yeah, I, I agree with with virtually everything that you said. And I appreciate that we both just kind of I think taking the time to acknowledge that. This happened today is important. Please donate to those organizations that are protecting women's access to safe and legal abortions. It's it's really mm-hmm. really important. Um, we'll put links for those funds at the bottom of this uh, 
this yep. podcast page. For, I, yes. So. Thank you for that. And, re- and make sure that that happens. If you don't do, remind me to make sure that happens, I'll, but I'll, I'll make, I'll make it happen. Um, I, I did uh, want to take this, uh, uh, you know, into basketball, but also something that is quite sad, uh, needed to acknowledge that, uh, Caleb Swanigan, former trailblazers forward, uh, former Purdue standout, uh, was, uh, found dead, uh, at age 25, which is far too young, uh, Biggie had a, a tough life. He was homeless. Um, he, as a kid, um, he struggled with his health, uh, as a young adult, as an adult worked his ass off, uh, got to the NBA, um, and was in the NBA for a number of years. And, um, I know that he, uh, didn't have an easy life, uh, and by all accounts was a extremely kind, generous, empathetic person. I mean, there's some folks, uh, like Greg McKelvey, um, who's a, a Portland area person, Blazers fan who I knew was, was, was pretty close with Caleb. Um, but just to say that I, I didn't want to kind of let this episode go either without acknowledging that, that Caleb Swanigan had passed and just condolences to his friends and his family. Um, cause it's, that's just rough. Yeah. If anybody hasn't read the piece, uh, the indie star after the news of his pasting came out, that it was a fantastic piece chronicling his life and chronicling the things that, that he came up with and that he came through. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that stood out to me was that, you know, besides, you know, his homelessness and like him ballooning up to the weight that he did at such a young age was that, he was well aware of the fact that he needed to be very regimented and very kept in check and basketball provided that check for him when he was in college and when he was in the NBA. Um, and when I don't want to say when he lost that, because it was a decision on his part, which, you know, given light of his passing and his, you know, you know, familial health history probably was a smart decision to sit out of the bubble. But when he lost that guidance of, of having NBA teams and, and trainers and scouts and whatnot, you know, overlooking him, you know, it, it, it just kind of spiraled. And I, it was only six months ago that I think that he got busted for like a, a drug violation. I can't remember if it was weed or something else. I think it was only just weed, but yeah, it was cannabis, you know? Yeah. Which is just asinine. And again, I mean, going back to local politics talk, but you know, just asinine that people are now getting, you know, jailed for marijuana use and, and, and possession charges and whatnot. And, but yeah, that was a man. That was a man that knew that he needed to be kept in check and worked to keep himself in check. But one of those things, when left to his own devices, he knew it was kind of like a you know the nature of his upbringing would get the better of him. And it's super sad that at 25 years old, that he was right. Right. And I think like, to your point, everybody has a story. Everybody has things that work for them or against them, be they genetic, be they in your upbringing, be they in in your current situation. And by all accounts, he was dealt a rough hand through absolutely no fault of his own. And it's, it is rough and it's sad. So, um, did just want to say, you know, rest in peace to, to Caleb Swanigan there and, um, forever, forever will be a trailblazer. I hope they find a way to honor him in some way next year, maybe with a patch. I think that would be a classy move. 
Um, I I have I have no doubt that Amara and the team that's currently assembled, you know, within marketing, within you know the the team ops or whatnot, will will do something uh, to to see him off. I I remember when that him coming out of jail photo came out um after that marijuana charge and it was the him at you know 400 pounds walking out of the either the jail or the courthouse or whatnot and it, you know everybody i'm not gonna lie i was an asshole i think i may have made a snide comment or two you know to a few friends about holy crap what the heck happened to biggie i mean he's earning that name one of those kind of things you know, and then Dame immediately stepping up going, Hey, you don't know everybody's struggles. You don't know everybody's story. Can we all not just be the judge, jury and executioner on this man's, you know, lifestyle, but you know, one of those kind of things, but I fully expect him to be able to do that. Um, this is now going to sound like it's, you know, super early in the show, but I don't think there's a better segue other than we're going to take a slight musical break and come back and then I talk about some actual Blazers basketball. That sound good to you, Brandon. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's do it. And we're back. And yeah, the one thing Ryan about having not recorded for a while is that there, um, there is quite a bit of news, uh, basketball related news to get to. We swore up and down before the draft lottery, the last time we recorded, whatever the last episode of us is in your feed, we swore up and down that after the lottery, we would record an episode and we would get on a regular schedule. And here we are now, seven weeks later. <laughs> you know, it's like you said on Twitter, though, that even podcasters do deserve a summer break. And that's what we've done. So, yeah, the Blazers, you know, they got the seventh pick in the draft. We're going to talk about what they did with that draft pick in just a second. But before we do, let's talk about someone who's coming into the Blazers. Uh, Jeremy Grant uh, was traded uh, from the Pistons to the Blazers. I can hear you clapping in the background, even though I can't see it. I think this is the, the interesting thing about Jeremy Grant, and I'll, I, I'm curious where you want to start, but like the the fact that it was rumored for so long that Jeremy Grant was going to go to the Blazers that I just assumed it was not going to happen, right? Because, I mean, how often is it that something that's talked about so much actually happens in real life, and it it, it happened. So for me, the big thing with the Jeremy Grant trade is that so this has been rumored since back before the trade deadline. It didn't happen, you know, and then it was, okay, when the season ends, we need New Orleans pick. We need that, you know, what, wherever it would have fell, you know, like 10 or 11 or whatnot. We need that pick from New Orleans because that's the cost of Jeremy Grant. And when that didn't happen, everybody flipped the fuck out and said, well, yeah, oh my God, why was, why was Cronin such an idiot? You know, that would have been such a great trade piece. That would have got us Jeremy Grant. We're not, and then that morphed into eventually the closer it was getting to the draft. We're not going to give up the seven pick for Grant, right? People thinking that's overvalued, whatever. Yet here at the very tail end of this deal, we find out and, and rumors were leaked out that, you know, the Pistons were asking for X, Y, and Z. And Cronin didn't blink and no better offers came in the exact offer that was made free trade deadline for Jeremy Grant is the exact offer that was consummated here just a few days ago. And And Cronin never, Cronin never blinked. He never once balked 
He never once freaked out. He never once made a reactionary. All right, fine. Here's our next 97 freaking first round picks, whatever. You know, I know that's not trade legal, but still, you get my point. He never once blinked and Detroit never got a better offer. And they had to settle for now. What I'm assuming is a gold plated Milwaukee Bucks 2025 first round pick that has since been traded, I think, two more times. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And just to, just to lay it out for folks, what the trade was, what Portland gave up for Jeremy Grant, they gave up that 2025 first round pick. Um, it's coming from Milwaukee. It's protected one through four, uh, but they're getting that. And that protection is for Milwaukee. Correct. We should just clarify that. That is correct. Um, the Pistons also swapped second round picks this year, 36 and 46 were switched and the the Blazers sold to Denver. So it didn't even matter, which we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, and the Pistons also got a 2025 second round pick and a 2026 second round pick. So it's a, it's a not so great first round pick, frankly, uh, a pick swap in the second round, a couple other second round picks, no other pieces in this deal. The Blazers didn't have to give up a player. They didn't have to give up anything of value. He slotted into the trade exception that was created when CJ McCall was traded. So I do just want to ask you with that again, and that, like, and that's hold on real quick. And that's coming uh, uh, one week off the heels of Christian Wood being traded and everybody having a panic attack going, why can't Cronin pull off one of those kind of deals and in which did. you give up nothing and you give up a, and you get a Christian Wood level player because Christian Wood at one point in time so far in this off season has been linked to the Blazers. I, and, I mean, and now he did. And now he did. I just want to say, I mean, two things real quick. One, how much did we hear about traded player exceptions during Neil Olshay's tenure? And how often did he ever use one? Like virtually never Cronin comes in, uses it right away and gets a player who's going to help the best forward. The Blazers have had since the Marcus Aldridge probably. And I would say, this trade, this single trade, probably the best net return in what the Blazers had to give up in order to get probably a better net return in this single trade than Olshay did in all of his accumulated trades in his time in Portland. That's maybe a little bit of a stretch, but I just want to say, I really, really like this trade. I, I don't think that's a stretch at all. So if you want it, because a lot of people want to then compare this and, and say that the best trade that Olshay made in his tenure was the use of Rickage deal. But this is a revisionist history kind of thing of that use of Nurkic was a throwing. The Blazers wanted to get off right. of Mason Plumley's contract and they got a pick back. And to make the money work, the malcontent out of Denver who couldn't get along with their up and coming center in, in Nikola Jokic the use of Nurkic was just thrown in and the Blazers had no intent to re-sign him. There was no intent to keep him. He was not right. meant to be a foundational piece. And then Nurk fever hit. Right. And even, so, even with that, even crediting Olshay with that, that's probably Olshay's best net trade. And like you said, it wasn't even because it was not even because he was a genius. It's because Nurkic popped in a way that no one expected to. But yeah. He felt fast backwards into being able to claim himself a genius. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it sounds like you like this trade too. I mean, what is your feeling? So Jeremy Grant, you know, a, a different player for a bad team in Detroit than he was when he was on a better team in Denver. And I think the version of Jeremy Grant that we're going to see in Portland is probably going to be a combination between what he looked like in Denver and what he looked like in Detroit. What's your opinion about how Jeremy Grant, the player is going to fit into this Blazers team? Like, do you like the fit? 
So there's been a lot said about the fact that, you know, he bailed on Denver because he wanted to be a number one option. I'm never going to fault a player for trying to bet on himself. Every single player, all 437 plus that are in the NBA have bet on themselves over the course of their career. So Jeremy Grant was a rising star in Denver. He was a big part of what they did. And when he came up on free agency, he chose to go and test the waters and go to Detroit and see, you know, how it would be if he was a high paid number one option. And in Detroit, you know, it's a middling franchise right now. It's been for years and he put up good numbers. If anybody's expecting him to have the 19.2 scoring and all that stuff, when he comes to, to Portland, the numbers that he put up in, in, in Detroit, it's, it's not going to happen. But he is a great player, and I recommend anybody go back and look at how he played on those Denver Nuggets teams. And, but I'm not going to fault a guy for, you know, he didn't quit on his team when he left Denver. He bet on himself. He wanted to see what he could do if in an expanded role. And, right. But he's now at this point in time in his career to where he knows – he knows his role. He knows his fate. You think when that stupid little photo of, you know, Nurk and Josh Hart and, and, uh, and Grant were, you know, that picture was snapped or whatever that, that those guys were like all laughing because they were arguing, like, I'm going to be the number one option. No, they know what team they're playing on. And in Grant's turn and, and in regards to Grant, he knows what team he's coming in on. He's going to be a, a, a third option behind right now, as the roster stands today, he's going to be a third option behind Damon Ann. Right. No, absolutely. And this is something that he has now again, chosen to do. So he took what he thought were his skills. He proved his skills in Detroit. And now he's taking those skills and moving them over to what will hopefully, hopefully be a top four team in the West. He's taking his skills to the South beach of the Willamette river. And <laughs> you know, I just, I just set that thing right on. I know you, you truly did poets beach, downtown Portland. Check it out really quick. Uh, I want to go back to you on this just to do like the stats thing for Jeremy Grant. I think it's probably worth looking at the last two years where he's been averaging you know, about 32 minutes a game, 20 points, four and a half rebounds, two and a half assists. He's only shooting 35% from three. And I say only cause he's, he's putting up six threes a game. Again, he's probably going to play, uh, you know, not that expanded of a role in Portland, but it's also important to note that, you know, during his career, he's played mostly power forward and especially lately, mostly power forward, but also has spent some time. 95% at- of his time uh, last year was spent at power forward. 78% of his time the season prior was spent at power. So Right. And actually, well, to correct you, it was actually 68% the year before, but your points. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Your, your still point, valid. Still, still valid. valid. Your point's well taken to say he can, he can play small forward. He can play power forward. He could probably play the teensy bit of the ultra super small ball center, maybe question mark. But like, how is this going to work? Like, yes. So Damon Ant and Jeremy Grant. But Damon and Jeremy Grant, it's actually a great little rhyme right there. Like, yeah, like that actually positionally, it, I, I think that works pretty well. You know, the person who may not be super stoked at someone who's coming in, who's been used to being a first option on a bad team the last two years, person who may not be super stoked about that is Yusuf Nurkic. How is he going to feel about his touches being taken away by Jeremy Grant? Will he want to leave? 
I, if you know me, you know that I want Nurk to go somewhere else and find his happiness on a different team. But I mean, I'm just, I'm sort of being facetious, but like, I am kind of curious that now that you have like Dame and, and obviously being the future and then Jeremy Grant Nurkic being the three A and three B, like, do you foresee any like conflict of like, there's not enough ball to go around. I mean, and not even to say that like Jeremy Grant Nurkic are like these superstars that need to dominate the ball, but I don't know if you have any concerns. Do you about think that the Portland Trailblazers are at a point in the organization in which they're, or they should feel comfortable having an argument about how many people can score the basketball and how many people will get Absolutely touches? not. No. And I, I mean, I really mostly say this as like concerned about Yusuf Nurkic being pissed off because yeah, I mean, Jeremy Grant's going to take touches away from him. If, like, if Yusuf Nurkic is an unrestricted free agent. If he signs back here staring at a Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons, and Jeremy Grant trio and says, I'm willing to get on board with this and then gets mad two weeks into the season because he doesn't get to touch the ball enough. That would sound like Yusuf Nurkic. I mean, you you set that up perfectly. Honestly, Ryan, that would sound like Yusuf Nurkic, wouldn't it? I I have a higher level of hope for use of Nurkic than you do in this regard. I'm not going to lie. I, I think Nurk shot his shot when he came out and said, you know, I need to be a focal point of the offense and he played good, but I think he's come to terms with the fact that he's not a focal point and very few centers in this league are focal points of an offense. Right. And so I, I think he, I personally think he's getting to the point in, in his career. He's not going to, this is going to be his big bang contract. So I think it, he's a lot more resigned to find a role and, and, and be okay being somewhere in the top five in the pecking order. Then, you know, complain about the fact that, you know, he's not getting more touches than Anthony Simons or Jeremy Grant or, you know, insert player X here. Yeah. I mean, again, like mostly I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about this. If, if Nurkic is going to care or not, like if you take Nurkic's skill and we've, we've talked about this a ton, you take his skill and his potential, then yes, like, like Nurkic on this team is great. I have no trust anymore. I have no trust in Nurkic and his maturity, his ability to play the role he's been asked to play his ability to stay focused. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. saw all I ever needed to see in that Denver series were in multiple games. They just simply needed him to stay on the floor and he couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Couldn't stay disciplined. Couldn't stay focused. Like, yeah. Can I offer you a bit of hope on that? You may. Is that if he doesn't live, if he doesn't buy in and live up to the potential that I'm hoping that he does, that he'll buy into this team concept and accept the role that he's given. Uh, do we have a GM here anymore that traded for him that is willing to probably also hang his hat and die with him um, to keep him? Or do you think Cronin is the type of GM in which if it's not working out, he's more than willing to trade him Come trade deadline? Yeah. Yeah. There's a difference for as much as C for as much as CJ even admitted himself that as soon as Neil got fired, he knew that shield in front of him was gone and that he was probably getting traded. There's an air of that in regards to nerd, because the only two good things that Neil ever did was, you know, keep CJ around for a little bit. You know, we can argue for, he did it too long and bring in Nurk. And for as much of an egotistical maniac as Neil was, 
I can't see him ever having swallowed the pill to trade Nurk. I think Cronin's willing to swallow that pill, and I feel as though Cronin and Billups combined are willing to put Nurk on blast and be like, dude, buy in or you're gone. Yeah, but here's the thing. I like I, I I I hold hope that the team would be collectively willing to hold them accountable. The problem is if Nurkic pouts, will he have any trade value at all? That's the problem is that like if this worst case scenario plays out and you don't want him on your team anymore, another team may not want him. You may have to give up assets in order to get rid of him, right? It's like the same thing kind of back where he was in Denver, where Denver is willing to give up a first round pick to get rid of him. Obviously he's established himself as an NBA player now in a way that he hadn't years ago. No, but I, I, I think, I think games would bite because I think you can run back the tape on that Nurk fever season and be like, great. Hey, look, this guy was pouting. He's got, you know, two and a half years left on his deal, whatever. Here's the kind of player that you can get for that. You know, he's going to be motivated because he's now out of this situation. I think, I think history is a good indicator of what you, I'm trying to, I can't word this correctly. I got it in my head, but history is a good indicator of what you could sell future teams on for NERC if you needed to trade him. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what I'm trying to say. That's fair. (laughs) That's fair. Let me ask you one more thing about, about the Jeremy Grant trade. And I mean, we could talk more about it if we we want to, but one other angle to this is this, I think changes how you evaluate the CJ McCollum trade, because essentially what you have at this point is you traded Larry Nance jr. And CJ McCollum essentially for Josh Tony Snell. Everybody forgets Tony Snell. Damn it. No, don't forget Tony Snell. Listen, you know, apologies to to Tony Snell fans all over the world, but yeah, essentially they're called Snell heads. We call ourselves Snell heads. Oh man. Um, essentially trading CJ and Nance for Josh Hart and Jeremy grit. That's, that's kind of what the score is at this point. Uh, do, Do you feel any better? about the CJ McCollum trade, knowing that it's manifested this way. And by the way, before you answer, by the way, Jeremy Grant only has a year left on what is a very reasonable contract. And I think, you know, his, your ability to resign him, you get his bird rights. That's great. Um, and you know, CJ McCollum slightly better player than Jeremy Grant, b- different fit with Dame, uh, worse fit. I would say. Simons. Anthony right. Simons better player than CJ McCollum's opened I mean, up room for Anthony Simons, right? CJ McCollum's contract is rough. So what does it, yeah. What does the CJ McCollum trade look like now that we've gotten Jeremy Grant? You again, Nance and CJ for Hart and, and Grant. I already love the CJ trade. So I'm the wrong person to ask about this. Fair enough. Um, does it look even better want, to you now? It, yes. And okay, if you're going to you go. allow no. me a little bit of a runway to go on a mini tangent, let's go. Blazer fans need to fucking slow their goddamn roll on <laughs> on everything. And I'm going to drop an Olsheism here, but on looking at everything in a vacuum. The Norman Rocco trade was viewed in a vacuum. It was viewed as a failure. Without those, there wouldn't be the certain amount of cap space and, and flexibility that we have now coming up on free agency. The CJ trade was viewed as a failure in a vacuum because the New Orleans Pelicans made the playoffs. Look, it didn't fucking matter, and you got it for a le- or you got that same thing you were hoping to get for a lesser freaking pick. Can we stop being so reactionary about that? Each individual microcosm moves 
and just hold our freaking horses until August to make an overall evaluation on how this team is doing. No, I refuse. Because I very very much feel as though Cronin, in the fan base's mind, has been fired like nine times and rehired like another ten in the like six months that he's been either interning or having the full-time job on this. Yeah. And there's a, there's a vision, there's a plan and we need to fucking trust it. And we need to just see where the chips fall and how this all before we just either either plan the parade or light the tiki torches. Ryan, because I don't think there's a single Blazer fan out there that's willing to listen to the two of us dipshits talk Blazer basketball. They have fallen so far down their podcast feeds, they found us. Speak for yourself, <laughs> my good sir. I am. But that, <laughs> that, believe, that would have believed the minute that the New Orleans Pelicans made the playoffs that this 2025 Bucks pick could have gotten the same return that they were thinking it would have taken the 10th, 11th, 12th, whatever pick. Right. I, I, so yeah, I, I think that the trade looks better now in retrospect. I, I refuse to wait until this whole plan plays out, Ryan, because I need to evaluate every piece of it as it comes and come to a snap judgment and overreact because that's what I do. And that's why we have a podcast. That's the whole point of having it is to overreact to stupid I am, stuff. I am going to buy you a puzzle. And I am going to give it to you one piece at a time. And I am going to want a <laughs> 1000 word essay so, on how each individual piece is in that moment. I will just, okay? I will say that's what this is like. I, I don't <laughs> mind people looking at an individual move and kind of exploring, well, what options does this leave you now? What paths have been opened or closed because of this? Right. But, 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 Oh no, I, I completely agree. But, but when, ba- you but you're basically bury, right. when you want to, when you want to bury or, um, you know, just deify somebody based off one move without seeing the overall picture, like a lot of people can come back at me and say like, Oh really? You're going to say that, but yet your takes on Neil O'Shea. No, I had 10 fucking years in Neil O'Shea. That man was a fucking snake oil salesman. And I bought, I bought the fucking snake oil every goddamn year. Right. And every year, you know, my whatever ailment that I was buying it for was never cured. And to that point, so, to that point, Cronin said, Cronin said, we're not done. We're not good enough yet, which I think is refreshing. He said, and it's he nice said to we're not a good team. He right. said, well, we're not a good team yet. He said, not good Do enough. You, good enough. How, I think is what he said. how much money would it have taken Paul or Jody Allen or the Vulcan estate? All of it. it how taken big all of a it. check? How big of a check would it have taken them to write Neil O'Shea to get him to say those all words into a microphone on camera? Every bottle of wine in Lake Oswego plus one because he just would every never pe- every penguin bone would have would, had to been signed <laughs> over to him. He would never have said it. This wasn't it wasn't in him to to admit at any point that anyway. Yes, I, I totally agree. So you got to look at it in its totality. I think that the new the New Orleans trade looks better now in retrospect. Um, I will say that, like, for example, I mean, you can get trade reactions all over the place. Right. Um, but like draft grades are the stupidest thing ever. 
Well, this is, and to be fair, this is a trade grade, which you can kind of evaluate talent in the NBA more easily than draft prospect, right? Which is almost impossible, which we're going to get to in a second. But like Nate Duncan and Daniel LaRue, the Dunked On podcast, I I consider them to be, you know, level-headed. They're not biased for or against Portland. And they were both in favor of this trade and basically said that the New Orleans trade looks now good. Um, the return you got because of CJ McCollum's contract and his fit with Dame. Jeremy Grant's a way better fit with Damian Lillard, period, end of conversation. He's maybe not quite as good as CJ, but the fit is better. And so I think like the whole is better than the sum of its parts between just those two players, in my view. Um, anything else on the Jeremy Grant trade before and, you go to hold on yeah. real quick? Yeah. And Brandon, you just said the whole is better than the, or the sum of its parts is better than the whole. Something, something along those lines. What have I been preaching since we, what, what have I been preaching since we started this podcast? What do the trailblazers need to do? They don't need to build a, uh, an, an all name NBA player team. They need balance. Well, they need a team that fits around Dame if that's who they're building around, right? Which means a balanced team around Dame. Did I make the mistake last year saying that it's the most balanced team? Yes. Do I still somewhere deep down in my heart believe that? Yes, I do. And then, you know, the universe just decided to run me over with a bus, but whatever. The the Blazers need a balanced team around Dame. Anthony Simons is a better, more athletic player right now than CJ McCollum was at his, at his height. That's an upgrade next to Dane. Jeremy Grant, best power forward that the Blazers have had around Damian Lillard since LaMarcus Aldridge. Yep. That's sounds like we're trending in the right direction. That's those are my last thoughts on that. Speaking of trending in the right direction, dot, dot, dot. The Blazers did keep the seventh pick of the draft this year, at least had kept it so, so far. far. So far. It so far. So far. And with that seventh pick, they decided to draft the six foot five or six, six, depending on who you ask 18 year old. 18 year old Shaden Sharp, who, by the way, has a six foot, 11 and a half inch wingspan, the fifth longest of any guard in the draft. Again, maybe he's a wing. He also has a reported 49 inch vertical, which is completely ridiculous. But Shaden Sharp out of Kentucky, but not really never played for Kentucky, uh, came out of high school and played in um, in a uh, in an academy AAU when, league in AAU. Yeah, league, he, thank he, you. He, he wasn't in uh, the Nike AAU circuit. Um, and he bounced around there. He there. The ironic part is that there are so many questions around his high school graduation, but I think it is a very firmly held belief right now that he did not graduate high school. And that is part of the reason why he did not play at Kentucky, because even though he signed there, he technically wasn't eligible to receive his scholarship, but continue. I'm looking that that would be bizarre. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at an article that says he graduated, but sometimes reporters get stuff wrong or they just assume stuff. So, you know, whatever. Yeah. So he, he was dominating mm-hmm. Nike's elite youth basketball league in that league averaged 22.6 points, six rebounds, two, 2.7 assists. But here's the deal before we go into more, uh, how do you feel about this pick? Shaden sharp, super young, very explosive, very athletic. 
an incredible shooter and a creator, but we haven't seen him play a bit against college competition. He came to work out for the Blazers, a workout that Damian Lillard was there for, by the way, which I don't think should be Damian Lillard was Damian Lillard was there for every for all of them, they right? So. Which I think is a positive sign oh, for a lot of him reasons. Show, him showing up to Shaden Sharps is not correct, but I just want to throw that out there because him showing up for Shaden Sharps does not make that any more extraordinary than him showing up for the Jabari Walker workout. So. Correct. I, I mean, suffice just to say, playing devil's advocate there. No, I think that's totally fair. I think that what I really meant to say by that is that for whoever the Blazers were to pick that Damian Lillard would at least be on board with it at a minimum, if not supporting it. How do you feel about the Blazers so far, not electing to trade this pick and instead drafting someone who has an incredible amount of upside is very young, but is somewhat of an unknown. How do you feel about this pick? Well, for starters, I need your sourcing on the fact that the Blazers elected not to trade this pick. How do you know that the Blazers elected not to trade this pick and that any of the trade options that they were exploring or that were on the table, the other teams did not accept them or were not asking. I mean, it's a bit of a over over exorbitant price. It's It's one of my biggest. It takes two to tango. It's so, a potato potato thing be- because you can always trade stuff if you get ripped off. So, but, but to say that the Blazers fine, that's fair. They didn't trade them so far, whether they are electing yeah. to or not, it doesn't, I didn't really mean anything by that. I'm just saying they haven't traded them, but like, how, how do you feel? I know. About you, the fact- you just, you, you had the verbiage that very much touched on something that I've seen on. And, you know, I, I really try not to live and die by Blazers social media, but you my God, sometimes pretty miserably takes, at that, as do I. <laughs> some, yeah, sometimes the takes that are out there are just so asinine, and it's that because a move that was reported that could happen didn't get made, and this even goes back to Olshay. I'll, I'll give Olshay credit on this. You know, like it, a, a move is reported like it could happen, and it doesn't happen. And then all the blame from the local team's fans fall to that local team's GM. That's unfair. That's across all freaking sports. It takes two to tango. Sometimes it takes three to tango just because a deal didn't consummate the way that, you know, a reporter had that it was in the works. doesn't mean that it's your team that failed to pull the trigger. The other team could have been no. As far as I'm aware, as far as I'm aware is that, the OG Ananobi trade, you know, I know Danny Morang has said this. Mike Rich has said this. I do know some people. I've shot out a couple texts. I've gotten some verification back on this. As far as what I, I know is that the players that were left on the board in the draft were none of the players that Toronto was interested in. And so that is why the deal did not consummate. So I am not going to hang or criticize Joe Cronin for not being able to trade that seventh pick. I'm going to congratulate him for not making a reactionary move of just trading the pick to be able to say that he did something and be able to like point to something on his resume and go, look, I attempted to make a trade here that would make us better, which is something I very much feel is that Olshay would have done with as much chatter was around that seventh pick. He would have just traded it for whatever the best offer he could get was, which probably wouldn't have been, you know, a good thing. (laughs) But um, I'm okay with this. 
My view on Shaden Sharp, I threw out the tweet and I actually screenshotted it and I've now sent the screenshot off anytime anybody asks me my my thoughts and feelings about Shaden Sharp is that I'm not going to have an opinion about a guy that I've never seen play basketball. But I sent you some homework on Twitter, sent you a little video of him playing. Intentionally did not watch it. It's only 90 (laughs) seconds long, Ryan. You can do it. Exactly. And the the minute that I, the minute that I saw that it was only 90 seconds is the minute that I knew that it wasn't worth my time to be fair. Hold on a second. Let me interrupt real quick. Just to say the Blazers do have a history of drafting a certain young player who never played college. And yet we had to go off of his film at IMG Academy. Oh, what's that? Anthony Simons. Pardon me. So there's film of him playing. It's just not him playing at the college level. You can find it. Correct. And how many people lambasted the Trailblazers organization for selecting that little 6'3 guard out of that unknown college who had the audacity to stay there for four years? You know, it's it's so for for my my thing on Changer is that there there were people in his camp, you know, regardless of his high school graduation status, but there were people in his camp that said, hey. You can be a star, you have the skills you you are NBA ready right now, and you need to do what you can do to get to the finished his high school career early, was a late enrollee in Kentucky, and decided that he, and this is no different than anybody in NCAA football, you know, electing to not play in a final bowl game or a championship game or whatever to protect their draft stock. He did. He elected to not play. Calipari has come out and said that if he were to come back next year and play and have a full college season under his belt, he'd be a consensus number one pick. Was Calipari on that because he literally has nothing to lose in his reputation as he's as he's retiring and saying these statements. Uh, Mike Schmidt, who is now the new assistant GM, Calipari wants to pump up his players. Come on, even though he didn't play for him. He has Calipari, a best interest in like, yeah. Correct. If he was coming back next year and coaching that team, but he's not. Eh, I, I well, I, well. Anyway, yeah, it doesn't matter. It, so, but yeah, Mike, Mike Schmidt, the Blazers' new assistant GM, um, tagged along to an insane amount of uh, uh, Kentucky um, practices to see Shaden Sharp and watch this guy dominate the team. Uh, he threw, you know, and he threw up a couple of videos back at his time in ESPN, you know, and, and a couple of interviews with Shaden Sharp talk, talking to the guy and was very high on him before he got the job with the Blazers months before he got the job. Like even there's a couple interviews that he did with him that you could peg was, you know, before maybe the Blazers even interviewed him for an assistant GM spot. So I'm going to take one of the world's best and most renowned scouts in Mike Schmidt's word. Uh, I'm going to take every other draft analysis's uh, take of that. This guy has every physical and skill to be like the next Kobe Bryant and whatnot, outside of the fact that I didn't get a chance to not watch him play college basketball on a random Wednesday night or, you know, see him <laughs> occasionally in an NBC or NCAA tournament game when everybody chooses to pay attention. There are right, so I, many players. There are so many players in this league 
that get overlooked because they're not at a Kentucky. They're not at a Duke. They're not at a high profile school. Their team doesn't make it far into the tournament that have been absolute monsters in this freaking league. And one other thing that I have actually gotten into an argument with numerous people about is they're bitching about the fact that why did we draft a guard? That's fine. He's six, six in today's league. You know, yeah, six six. That's a that's a guard with a, with a gonna, seven foot I, wingspan with a forty nine inch vertical, right? Like I'm, a, I'm just going to purpose pitch this here. Okay. He's not six three, right? But same point in time. How many players can you name off the top of your head? Because I actually looked this list up last night, and it the the best I could find was just quote unquote notable players. But that grew between their senior year of high school and their junior year of college that had a growth spurt in that time. And this is the window in which Shaden Sharp falls. So he's currently measured at 6'6". Apparently he's a midget at 6'6", but we needed the god of the giant, the OG Ananobi, at 6'7". So, but how many players can you, can you name that had growth spurts in between that time frame? Anthony Simons. Westbrook grew seven inches in the two years he was at UCLA. Lamar Odom grew seven inches between his or uh, in his junior year of college. Scotty Pippen grew seven inches in his junior year of college. Rodman grew ten inches after he graduated high school. Duncan Robinson grew six inches uh, in between his freshman and sophomore year, in, or sorry, his sophomore and junior year in college. So, and Giannis Antetokounmpo grew two and a half inches. After he got drafted. I'd love to believe that you just were doing that off the dome and that you're not somehow nope, reading. That, that was no, that was, that was reading because <laughs> I was just reading you a text no. that I had with totally. numerous people. I'm at this point in time where I'm a copy and paste on that text. No, that's, I think that's completely fair. Um, yeah. So, I mean, let me, let me put, so I I'm getting from you that you're not quite sure how to feel yet that you trust Mike Schmitz, who, like you said, was a, a scout at ESPN for years, really, really highly respected, um, which is why he got the Blazers did a great hire by taking away his knowledge from the rest of the league. I totally agree. I think that's a really, that's a fair way to put it. Um, but let me put it to you this way. You have Damian Lillard, who is 32, right? The Blazers have 31. 31, 32, the Blazers have limited options at this point to further improve their team. The seventh pick is slash was one of those and they haven't Mm -hmm. traded him yet. Maybe they will. Um, but it looks more unlikely by the day, the more that the team puts out PR and says, welcome, it's probably less likely they're going to trade him at this point. And the Blazers opted to draft someone who's, you know, six, six with a seven foot wingspan. So, you know, maybe a wing, maybe a guard, but who is 19 years old, who has no college experience. The only film you have on him is him playing against athletes that are not even college level athletes. Right. So Uh do you fundamentally agree with the Blazers drafting this kind of a player for where Dame is in his career timeline? What does Dame's age have to do with this? He only has so Steph many. Curry's Steph Curry's left. 34 years old and just carried a, 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 a underperforming Clay Thompson and an absolute no-show Draymond Green to a 
championship and won in uh, NBA Finals. One of my biggest fucking gripes. You you right did now. not just compare and the Warriors all, to the Blazers. It, you did not, I'm, my friends. No, no, no. I'm not comparing the Warriors. My to the dear Blazers. friends. I'm comparing. I'm, I'm, comparing <laughs> I'm comparing Steph and Dame. You can put this out as a fucking soundbite. I don't care. I will get roasted by everybody. But uh, <laughs> nobody has been able to objectively explain to me how Dame at 31, almost 32 years old, is damn near dead, buried in the ground in a pile of dirt. Yet Steph at 34, getting ready to turn 35 years old, is an absolute monster in the league. The players that help back Steph. In, back, in the war, back in the Warriors heyday. Back in the Warriors' heyday of like the like the pre-Kevin Durant thing, Draymond was an absolute monster. They hit on that. Clay Thompson was a beast. This year's finals, Steph carried that fucking team at 34 years old. Steph has a worse injury history than Damian Lillard. Nobody is questioning on if the Warriors need to bail on Steph Curry because he's 34 years old and the Warriors aren't putting enough around him they have too many young players and jordan Poole and andrew wiggins and gary payton the second you know all that nobody's questioning all the young players that are placed around him because they're not on quote-unquote steph's timeline but day at 31 is damn near dead and we need to be focused on the fact that they drafted and there's a there, i mean there's a couple things to unpack here i mean first of all and you did cut out a little bit near the end and so if you're actually talking right now, then I can't hear you. Sorry about that. Uh, a couple Hello? Things. Yes, I can hear you now. You cut out at the okay. end. I, Which I, part did you lose? I'll repeat it. No, no, no. At the very, very end. There's James a couple, not dead. There's Steph a couple things is. to unpack with what you said. One of them is that the best players surrounding Steph Curry, him being 34th in injury history, were players who had a lot of NBA experience. Most of the best players on the Warriors Jordan team have Bull? a lot of NBA experience. Hold on a second. How did, how did Clay do? He did well enough and provided quite a bit of gravity for that team. It is he also had very numbers. He had CJ McCollum numbers over the entirety of that final series. I think that we can agree that like Clay and Draymond, for example, provide more impact than their stats suggest for a lot of different reasons, specifically for that team. But the other point too, is that Jordan Poole, who you mentioned is 23 years old with three years of NBA experience. Anthony Simons is just coming into his own after being drafted at 19 and having three years of NBA experience. So you have Shaden Sharp coming in at 19 with no college experience whatsoever. And, you know, is he going to contribute year one, year two, year three at that point dame is how old 34 35 and the blazers are not the warriors so that's the last point i mean is i guess chris paul dead chris paul is chris isn't paul dead. Still... he's also the exception you know not the rule is chris paul... well i'm just gonna say i mean like when dame's coming into 34, how's darren williams doing 36 <laughs> was never on the level of chris paul or Steph oh Curry. yes see darren williams is literally in the mvp conversation he had a, fl- he had a better flash in the pan he had a flash in the pan when he was in what utah yes how's mike conley doing nowadays I'm just saying, out those. I'm just it, saying, so uh, people, my people big, age, people my age, biggest, right? This like, is true. But my biggest contention: can we view age on the same fucking scale for the same type of players? No, we because can't. We have it, to overreact. It, and again, this is where <laughs> I bring back my complaint to the over. I understand that the full word of or the full definition of fan is fanatic. But if Damian Lillard at thirty-one is is dying but steph curry at 34 is a god 
my brain fizzles out. Steph Curry's not going to get any better. And what they did this year, they looked vulnerable, right? They won. They were really good. They won the title. There's, you know, all credit to them. And Steph was amazing. But, you know, he's nearing the end of the peak of his powers as Damian Lillard may or may not be. He's nearing his end at 34, as opposed to we're trying to have a conversation about Dame nearing his end at 31. No, we're not. That's not what I said. My brain is dead. What I'm trying no, to say is I, the Blazers I are know, trying I, to get the best out of Dame in the next couple of years, right? So does Shaden Sharp do that? Yes or no? That's all. Shaden Sharp could turn into a Jordan Poole type player for the Blazers. And Jordan Poole's been in the league for three years, right? So, and he was drafted at 20, not 19. So like, I, I guess so here's my point and I'll, I'll play devil's advocate to myself. Um, my point is that if the Blazers were trying to maximize Dame's prime, this pick literally doesn't do that. It's, it's one of the youngest players in the draft who has the least amount of film on him. The biggest unknown, what the Blazers did do was take a swing at someone who could potentially be the best player in this draft, potentially physically with his shot, with his ability to move. He, Shaden Sharp, even with like the lesser competition that you have to view him against, he pops off the screen so incredibly hard in the same way that Anthony Simons did. Right. So the biggest knocks, the biggest knocks on him are his mentals that he checks out of games, that he gives up on plays that he does such a stupid, but, but, but if you're going to make an argument that Dane can fix mellow and get him engaged and be him to be a team player and that Dane can fix Hassan Whiteside and get him to be engaged and be a team player, then you can't not say that Dame can fix Jaden Sharp, who is now a rookie and not an established player or an NBA legend coming into a team yeah. and get him to be a team player. So, I mean, I would go even like, a step. Those, those, those two things cannot be true at the same time. I would even go a step further because I completely agree with you. A, and then I'd go a step further to say um, Shaden Sharp doesn't have a problem with his mentals. Whoever is saying that is making shit up. We have no idea. We haven't seen him play. And like someone taking a player too off in an AU competition doesn't say anything about what they're going to do or not do at the NBA level. And like, and clearly Shaden Sharp, he was focused on getting to the NBA. And whether you agree with him sitting out the entire year not playing Kentucky doesn't matter because guess what? He was a high lottery pick. So he got what any per- person should want for themselves to get to the highest level of their craft. That's what he cared about. That's what he did. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, you can go back. You can go back. Draft analysis is fascinating to me because one of the things I did after this draft, I did that. I did it this morning when woke up, you know, had my emotions, blah, 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 whatever. And I went back and I looked at the 2012 draft where Damian Lillard was drafted and the Blazers were Slightly lambasted, you know, in national media polls, almost to the level of like the Henry Abbott, which it pains me to say it because God, he's one of my media idols. But, you know, it's going to be a rough day for you with the Henry Abbott stands. Oh, boy. Again, again, I have a Mount. I've had a Mount Rushmore of NBA media people forever. And Henry Abbott has been on it since day fucking one. And this man has never been more salty. Time to get the chisel. Off. Time to get the chisel and chisel someone else's face onto there. I, I just, I, he, I, I'm not, he, no, I'm not, I'm not going that. I'm, I'm not going the Trump route of, I'm going to add a fifth face. We're leaving that off, but you can add my you face. Know, you got, you, 
well, I can't chisel such beauty into, you know, such crappy rocks. But, uh, but no, I'm not, I'm, you go back to that 2012 draft and the Blazers were, you know, they took an unknown. It was this random guy from this small school who somehow decided to stay there for four years, you know, but Dion waiters is the next is the second coming at the fourth pick. Draft analysis is so batshit ass nine. It's so it hard. Is, it's so hard. It, There's so much there, which is why I think like and I and flip side. I also love how people are now comparing like and again this goes back to my irrational Blazer fan thing. Of they're like, hey, well, you know, Blazers picked Shaden Sharp at seven. Steph Curry was picked at seven. You know, who knows? No, that's just as stupid as the Dion Waiters takes back in, in 2012. Right. It's. I mean, I mean, to to be fair, you know, uh, trying to analyze players how they're going to play in the NBA is incredibly difficult work, which is why not very many people do it. The people who are good at it, for example, Mike Schmitz, get jobs in front offices at the age of 32. By the way, also mm-hmm. you kind of look like him. So if you ever want to do like doppelganger, like sneak into the Rose Garden, you could probably just say, "Yeah, oh, Mike Schmitz." But um. Uh, uh, no, me... I've actually I've actually DM'd him about trying to get him on the podcast here a little in uh oh, sometime yeah. uh, before the season starts, and uh, I'm making some sl- making some slight progress on that front. So uh, uh, we will definitely video that, and I request that my face be next to his face. Done. One last thing on, on Shaden Sharp. I'm going to call an audible really quick editing note. I think that us talking about the other Jabari, the Blazers draft in the second round and free agency. Stuff, got Jabari! <laughs> let's, I called it from day one. Day one, I said the Blazers would get Jabari. I said they'd get him. Everyone was worried going into the lottery. That's all I'm going to say. You got Jabari. Of time I was to right. Gloat. Have I pl- have all I have all the receipts. I got all the texts, all the tweets. <laughs> They're all screenshotted. All as I said was that the Blazers would end up with Jabari. I never put a last name on it, but they got Jabari. Gotta love those loopholes. Um, I, I want to leave people wanting more. So, so we have a lot to talk about. Plus, summer league starts at the beginning of July. Uh, teams have I contracts will be down there for the first time in three years. I'm so sad. Oh. I'm sorry. That's I could have given you live reports. That's a bummer. We are missing out there. Um, flip, but, flip side. I think you and I should make a plan for next year's summer. I think we should. I think that I'd be, I, I'd be down. I think, uh, as long as I'm not we in can, New Zealand at that point, um, <laughs> we can, we can share, we can share a queen bed and cuddle. Oh my God. Well, now you've really sold me on it, but so we have other stuff to talk about blazer second round pick other things in a different episode, but I want to end it on, on shade and sharp because I do think it's important. It's a franchise altering moment, I think. And so for all that I've said about games prime, you may be surprised to hear me say how much I liked this pick because to me, the blazers, when you get to make a swing, a very high upside, high risk pick with the seventh yeah. pick, that means that the potential upside is incredibly high, which it is with mm-hmm. Shane Sharp. And again, if you watch video of him, I know that it's against players that are, most of them are never going to be in the NBA. The way that he pops off of the screen, his shot looks so incredibly smooth, really fundamentally sound mechanics, a duplicable shot. It's so much fun to watch him play. I'm excited for this. I'm excited for this pick. Even if he doesn't help right away, I think that it matters that Joe Cronin essentially said, 
we are going to take the biggest swing possible, a high risk That's pick all with the you center, want. which I think is the That's right move. I really do. And there well, are other ways to make the team better in the short term. So I, I actually really liked the pick despite my devil's advocate stuff. So I'll, I'll end my stance on this is that this organization has been burned by trying to draft positions of need over the best player available. Sam Bowie. <laughs> you know, we, we, we skipped on Michael Jordan because we didn't need him. We, yeah. we skipped on Kevin Durant because we didn't need him. You know, they're littered throughout our, our franchise's history is that we have avoided the best player available and taken a position of need. AJ Griffin fell down to 16, right? To the Atlanta Hawks. I thought for sure with him still on the board and the fact that he's a small forward, you know, or just sorry, in college terms, just F a forward, um, that the Blazers were going to take him. They didn't. I was amazed. Um, this is, as you said, a giant swing. Um, this current iteration of Blazers basketball that we're all used to over the last decade was not willing to take swings and try to hit it out of the park. Uh, TBD on if they did with this pick, but they're trying. They're they're putting the power, they're putting the effort behind this swing. That's all you can ask for. Um the other thing that I have to say about this is that, again, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that anybody who is listening to this just adopts my theory of that. Stop looking at the moves in the microcosms. I know this is an old Shaism, but just wait until August. We need to see how this team pans out. There is still a $6 million trade exception out there. There is still a $3.2 million trade exception out there. There is still a $10.2 million uh, mid-level or mid-level exception out there. There is still a $19 million as it stands right now, Eric Bledsoe contract out there. There is still a $19 million bird rights option for Joe Ingles out there. There are tons of moves for this team to make and tons of assets that they have to move around. And if you could have told me weeks ago that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were going to suddenly become unhappy in Brooklyn, I would have called you crazy, but now they are. And so there are going to be teams that are going to be clamoring to clear cap space to try to land these players that are going to have to give up Cam Johnson's that are going to have to give up, you know, some Jay Crowder's sorry to pick on Phoenix Suns. But just, you know, players of consequence that the Blazers need, that they have options to help facilitate these trades, these sign-in trades, whatever. So I know it's really hard to sit here in the end of June and try to view the moves that the team has made right now as being solid moves as opposed to just okay moves, but the NBA is fucking crazy. Things move around. Rudy Gobert's on the move. I never thought that OG Ananobi would be a player that the Blazers could be targeting, but I also never thought that Toronto would be willing to do it straight up. I always thought that that would be a Rudy Gobert to Toronto, OG Ananobi to Portland, and then the Blazers trading like the number seven and Nas to freaking Utah. 
that's how Iowa saw that deal coming down. So when you listen to, to people say like, oh, well, why would Toronto do that? Or why would this team do that? There are other options out there. Give yeah. it time. Judge it in August. I think that's a completely fair take. And we will be back before August for sure. Again, we got summer league. There will be other trades. There's free agency. There's stuff to get into. Ryan, before we break, anything else you want to leave people with? Vote in your local elections. Get out. Make an impact in your community. If you feel as though that you're smarter than the people on the ballot, then put yourself on the damn ballot. Stop having overreactions to blazer trades. Stop having overreactions to minuscule blazer moves. Wait till you get the full picture. Brandon, my God, I don't know if your hair can get any more beautiful. I just saw a profile picture of you in Hawaii. But uh, knock it off. You're making the rest of us look bad. That's all I got. Man, Hawaii does things. We're having a good time here. And if you want to have a good time with us, you can always do that at welikeTheBlazers.com, at LikeTheBlazers on Twitter. I'm at GoldnerPDX. He is the witty Ryan again on Twitter. Uh, Also, by the way, really quick, Sheriff of PDX, our friend Seth, is going to be beginning those Twitter spaces again. Ryan, you should be there. We had one yesterday. I kind of popped in not knowing what was happening. It was super, super fun. I was was so angry at Blazers Twitter. I was going to get out. It would have just been old man yelling at clouds. Well, you'll be there next time. It's super, super fun. Um, And that's pretty much it. Yeah, I will have more. Ryan, I appreciate you. Appreciate you all for listening. And until next time, go Blazers. Go Blazers.